Thanks, band. Good morning and welcome to Hiawatha Church. My name is Spencer, one of the pastors here, and uh, like uh, Chris said earlier, we're glad that you chose uh, to join us this morning. Uh, what a really uh, beautiful morning. Actually, my wife and I are going to dedicate our daughter in the second service, but I'm just was standing in the back watching uh, four sets of parents dedicate their, their uh, children to God and uh, hear the church kind of rally behind them. It's really a beautiful, exciting morning as we corporately as well as uh, individually as families have gotten to thank God for the gift of life. It's a really fun, beautiful thing. That's a huge part of the Christian life, right? We're constantly and continually thanking God for life. We believe that he is the giver of life, both uh, biological life through, through children as well as spiritual life. And we especially thank him for that spiritual life. Christians gather regularly to remember the spiritual and eternal life that God gives through his son. But tragically, life is not always our reality. In contrast to this morning, some of you remember just a few months ago when we had to bury uh, two different children and have two child funerals. The horror and sadness of burying a child isn't an experience that I'd, I'd wish on anyone. And... If already, just after hearing a few sentences about a, a child dying is already making you angry or sorrowful or, or feeling despair, know that you're not alone. Know that that is what you should be feeling. Death is a problem. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, death is a problem. It's our enemy, and it doesn't discriminate. It's inevitable, and it touches everyone. And it's with this hopelessly dark background that we're going to see our passage today. With this black backdrop of death wins. Death always wins. You can't escape it. It's inevitable. With that black backdrop, we're going to see a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of light with God's plan of salvation and hope in our passage. So right now we're in a series in the book of Genesis. So Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, and we're at the very beginning of that. So We've, we've, uh, we're a few months in already, but we've seen God create the universe and everything in it. We've seen him create life and uh, humankind. And we see God create paradise, create the Garden of Eden, and uh, put mankind, his pinnacle creation, in there and tell them essentially, this is all for you. Children, this is all for you. Enjoy it. Subdue it. Have dominion over it. May it bring you great joy, great pleasure, great fulfillment, great satisfaction. He created a masterpiece and told his children, Adam and Eve, our first parents, this is all for you. And as their creator, he knew that being in close relationship with him is what would bring us the most joy and the least amount of harm. As our creator, he knew what true freedom and true flourishing would actually look like, and that would come through staying close to him. God is the creator and the giver of life, like we just talked about this morning and celebrated his power his presence and his garden gave us life so when we rebelled against god no longer trusting him but rather wanting our independence from him we essentially walked away not only from the giver of life but walked away from life itself so that's why god told them that if they ate of that fruit on that day that they would die and not just physical death but spiritual death that they would be separated from God, that the world would become poisoned and corrupted, and that they'd be separated, not just from God, 
but the one who gives life. So when our first parents chose to no longer trust God, they walked away from life and into death. And ever since then, death has consumed victim after victim after victim after victim. But like a good loving father, just moments after we rebelled against him, after we turned our backs on the giver of life, on our creator, God graciously and mercifully promised that he would fix this problem. That death would not always reign over humanity. Even though we chose death and independence over life and dependence on God, he wouldn't give up on us. Death would be our great enemy. It would poison every human and the rest of the world as well. But God promised that he would intervene and defeat death on our, on our half, behalf, bringing us back to the garden, back to the way that it was supposed to be, where, where we were in relationship, where we lived with God, where death was no more. So now we're going to fast forward our story a bit to where our passage is today in Genesis 5. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter, which is primary, primarily a genealogy. And we're going to especially focus on one of the guys mentioned, a guy whose name is Enoch. And through this character, we're going to see God's continued grace. We're going to see God's rescue plan and his battle against death. We're going to see it hinted at. A couple of things to note before I read this passage. Some of you are just super excited to jump into a genealogy. I know that. But uh, maybe you've never read a genealogy before, or maybe you have and you have no idea how to read them. You skip over them. You kind of head off to Hawaii or something while, while you hear one read in your mind. But a couple things to, to note as we're reading this gene- genealogy today in Genesis 5. First thing we need to remember is that God intentionally wrote this. Uh, Christians believe that the Bible is, is not, d- doesn't only have a human author, but also has a divine author behind it. And so God intentionally put Genesis 5 in here. So if that's the case, then we know that he did it for a reason and that he wants to teach us something through it just random names, random dates, and, and random generations, but God has something to show us and tell us through it. So, so far in Genesis, we've seen poetry, we've seen narrative, and now kind of a different genre. We're seeing a genealogy, and God's telling the same story through multiple different genres, the same thing. And so we're going to see it uh, through ge- genealogy today. And since we believe that God is the divine author behind it, that's why, if, if you didn't know, that's why we preach through books of the Bible here at Hiawatha. Every once in a while, we'll do a topical sermon, but most of the time, we, we pick a book of the Bible, and we start at the beginning, and we preach through the end. And that's also the reason why we don't skip over hard passages, or we don't uh, just preach on passages that we really like. But today, we go through a genealogy that maybe, at first glance, seems boring or seems like it has no relevance to us today, but we believe it. God's the author behind it. He wants everyone in this room to hear what he has to say to them through Genesis 5 today. So as we read through the genealogy today, and whenever you read one, there's, there's going to be another one in uh, Genesis. There's uh, some in the, in the gospel accounts, genealogies of Jesus as well. When you're reading a genealogy, look for two things, and it'll help you understand, at least begin to understand what's trying to be communicated there. First, look for the patterns. So it's, there's a liter, literary feature where you're going to see patterns. The same thing again and again and again. And then look for the breaks in the patterns. What's different? So we're going to see this and this and this and this. And then a break. Something, something is supposed to contrast. Something is supposed to stand out. 
And those breaks are usually what God is trying to communicate to us. We're going to look at both of those today. All right, so let's uh, read Genesis 5. It's up there on the screen. You can also follow along in the Bible in front of you. I heard a pastor one time say, if you ever have to read uh, hard names or hard locations in the Bible or people groups, just read it really fast and really confident and no one will, uh, no one will know any better. So that's, that's what I'm going to do. We're going to fly through Genesis 5 here. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and he named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered his son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he, fath he fathered Mahalalel. If anyone's pregnant out there, going to have a, a son, may I suggest Mahalalel. Pretty uh, great biblical name. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years. And had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived, uh, Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived... After he fathered Lamech 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered his son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 500 years. 95 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, even amidst genealogies and lists of generations and people, you have something to say for us. God, help us illuminate this passage. Help us to see the hope, the plan of salvation, the, the break in the pattern of death that we see here in, in Genesis 5 and help that to be really meaningful to us today to uh, undergird and, and support the celebration of life that we had earlier this morning. Pray this in your powerful and saving and uh, life-giving name, Jesus. Amen. So we see, and thanks for getting, that, uh, getting through that with me. That was 
That was kind of tough, but lots of great stuff in there. We're going to see that. There's two basic themes that we saw in Genesis 5. First one is we see the reign of death. We see death, death. Every character, they lived this long and they died, and they died, and they died, and they died. We should have seen that pattern. And then we also saw God's plan of salvation. We saw a break in the pattern, two different ones, one with uh, Enoch and another kind of foreshadowed with Noah, that this curse was going to be broken. So a few things I want us to notice right away before we start to look at uh, Noah and Enoch, two of the characters that kind of broke the pattern. First is that life continued. So if you remember a few weeks ago when uh, Adam and Eve rebelled against God, there was a curse. There was a, a consequence to their rebellion against God. Initially, God said, on the day that you eat of it, you will die. And spiritual death did come into the world on that day, but they didn't actually physically die right away. And Adam and Eve didn't just live a little bit longer, a few more days or a few more weeks, but actually lived long lives. So we see God's grace in that. There still was the consequence of sin. They were banished from God, from the garden. We saw, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll read a little bit more about the curse in a little bit, but we saw still great consequences of the rebellion against God, yet God's grace and his mercy was still there. Life continues. Not just Adam and Eve, but God allowed humanity to reproduce. So if we read Genesis 1 all the way through 5, one setting, we'd see, hey, it was really great. 1 and 2, chapter 3 got really bad. Chapter 4, downward spiral even more. A, a brother killed his brother. And now we see this, and we should say, but there's still life. I thought life was supposed to end. But we see God's grace that he allowed generation after generation to reproduce and to have even long lives. And, and probably what's going on here is we're seeing God slowly lift his hand of blessing and grace off of humanity. So just like Adam and Eve didn't die instantly, physically, after they ate the fruit after they rebelled against God, but it kind of happened slowly. That's probably what's going on here. That's why we see people, Adam and Eve, living uh, forever until, until the fall, until they, until they sinned and ate the fruit and rebelled against God. And then we see humanity living long lives, and then they're going to get shorter and shorter and shorter as we see them walk farther and farther away from God, the, the giver of life. So the curse seems to grow as, as the story uh, unfolds. We see life going from eternal life to hundreds of years all the way down to, as we keep reading life, we'll, um, the length of life will be similar to, to our lives right now. That's probably what's going on there. Also, chapter 5, and again, we didn't read chapter 4, but chapter 5 is in stark contrast to what we just read at the end of chapter 4. Two genealogies. So at the end of chapter 4, there's a genealogy of Cain. So Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and, Cain and Abel, Cain was the one who killed Abel. He was, he was jealous of his brother. He had contempt for him, and he killed him. And then we see Cain's descendants, a shorter genealogy. And then right after that, we see uh, a genealogy of, of Seth, the son who replaced Abel. There's a contrast between the two. So chapter 4 ends with the shorter genealogy that shows this downward spiral of humanity running away from God, sin getting worse and worse and worse. And then what we just read, chapter 5, is in stark contrast to that. So in, in chart form, just to kind of explain it, in case you weren't here last week. So Cain, he comes from the seed of the serpent, whereas Seth, or, or Abel before him, comes from the seed of Eve. 
the line of Christ actually comes through Seth. If you go back and look at the genealogy of Jesus, he, they trace, one of the genealogies gets traced all the way back through Seth. Cain, through, through his line, we see death, whereas in Seth's life, we see life. We see whispers of life, especially those two characters that I mentioned. With Cain, uh, his seventh descendant is a guy named Lamech. We also saw a guy named Lamech in, in chapter 5. So we're going to call this guy Lamech number 1. Uh, he was a really bad guy. He was a murderer and a polygamist. He uh, boasted about, he's like, my ancestor Cain, he was a bad guy, but I was 10 times more evil, more corrupt, more violent than him. Where in contrast, Seth's line, his seventh descendant is this guy named Enoch, who we're going to look at later, who actually he walked with God. He pleased God. So see, see this great contrast between these two lines. Cain, we see in his line, evil growing more and more and more after every generation. Whereas in Seth's line, we see whispers of goodness, whispers of godliness. In Cain's line, he has a guy named Lamech who boasts about his evil. And in Seth's line, there's a guy named Lamech, Lamech number two. And rather than boasting about his evil, he puts his hope in God's promise. This guy is Noah's father. We're going to look at what he says. But he uh, trusts in God's promise that the curse is going to be reversed. And then finally, in, in Cain's line, we just see hopelessness. We read it, and it's depressing. There's, there is no hope. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Whereas in Seth's line, there is for sure effects of the curse, effects of the fall. There is death, 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 yet there's whispers of hope within it. So that's what's going. A couple things I wanted us to note. And then the third thing before we start to look at a couple of these characters, Enoch and Noah, is that uh, God gives a replacement for Abel. A new seed, a new line for the promise, the, the, the Savior, the Rescuer, the one who's going to re reverse the curse, the one who's going to defeat death, there's a new line for him to come through. So after Cain kill, kills Abel, God gives Eve another child, whom she names Seth, saying, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So if you remember, earlier in Genesis, Genesis just moments after Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, God graciously, just moments after that, graciously promises that through Eve's offspring, one would come that would defeat death. One would come that would rescue humanity, that would fix the problem, that would bring us back to Garden of Eden-like state where we're in God's presence, living with him without Satan, sin, death, suffering, and pain. So we see this promise, but then when Abel dies, the story kind of seems to stop or you kind of hold your breath like, well, what's going to happen? And we see God's, God's grace again. All over Genesis 5, we see God graciously give Eve another child, this child Seth. And we actually know that through Seth's line that Jesus would come. He's, an, he's a descendant of Seth. All right, now we're going to look at two examples where the author intentionally breaks the pattern. So hopefully as we're reading through that, you're able to kind of follow along. And you saw the pattern. You saw death, 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 death. A character, and he died. A character, and he died. A character, and he died. Again and again and again. So that's the pattern that we're supposed to see. And so that tells us that death reigns. Like we talked about earlier, death uh, touches everyone. Death rules over humanity. But in this genealogy, we see two points where that pattern is interrupted both uh, literarily as well as just in the story of, of 
salvation history. One of those is with uh, Enoch, and the other is with Noah. We're going to start with Noah, even though he comes afterwards. Um, so let's pick it up in verse 28. So Lamech, this is Lamech 2, uh, Noah's father in Genesis 5. So not, not, not the evil Lamech that's uh, boasting about murdering people and having multiple wives and being 10 times worse than Cain. So when Lamech too had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one, my son, Noah, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. So we see hope in this character of Noah. We see a break in the pattern of death. We're going to hear much more about Noah. Next, Chris is going to preach on uh, Genesis 6 through 8. So most of Noah's whole story, many of you know that, uh, the story of Noah and, and the ark and the animals and God's uh, judgment on earth and his promise and covenant at the end. But if, if you don't know who Noah is, here's a, here's a picture of him. <laughs> Actually, Chris said uh, next week we're just going to watch the Noah movie, and uh, that's it. Just kidding, I'm being very sarcastic right now. Um, very different than, than the biblical story. But anyway, Noah, he's, he's an important character. He just gets mentioned here, so I'm going to briefly talk about him. Chris will really unpack this character and what's going on there. But uh, Lamech uh, breaks this pattern of death in, in the genealogy here, and he says that through my son, somehow he knows, he prophesies that through his son, the curse is going to begin to be reversed. After Adam and Eve's treason in the garden, the effects of their sin didn't just poison them, but it also poisoned creation. The ground was cursed. So back in Genesis 3, we read, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all of the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat, of the, eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. And then in contrast, Lamech says, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one, my son Noah, one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toils from our hands. So we see a ray of hope. Through Noah, the curse is going to begin to be reversed. Death will have less power. God's promise of salvation is beginning to be fulfilled. We see a break. We also see a break in the pattern of futility and, and the curse and, and pain and death. It's just a whisper. It's not the, the full realization of God's promise, of God's salvation. It's not, Noah is not the ultimate offspring that will bring this about, but rather it's just a whisper that death won't forever rule and that God hasn't forgotten humanity. Again, we'll leave Noah for Chris to preach on next week. So let's... Uh, Move on. The second big break we saw in this genealogy was this character, Enoch. We see the pattern of death, 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 and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And then there's this new guy, the guy in the middle of the genealogy, a guy named Enoch. And this pattern of death is broken. Verse 24 says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Or a different translation says, and he was no more, or he was not there, because God took him. So after generation after generation of humanity, all of humanity experiencing death, their end being death, there's one guy who didn't have that. 
God's promise of life breaks into creation, breaks into this pattern of death. And he doesn't just receive a long life. He isn't just healed of diseases. He isn't just uh, made healthy or something like that. But he never even experiences death, the power of death, the reign of death. And Enoch not dying, it would, it would elicit a longing for God's salvation. So uh, a people group that for as long as they can remember, death just ruled over them. It was this enemy that they could just not beat. When this character Enoch would, came and then didn't die, it would elicit this longing for God's salvation, for this promise that God gave Eve to, to come to fruition. And it moves this story forward. We also see with this character Enoch, that he walked with God. Two different times in this passage uh, describing Enoch, it says he walked with God. What does that language remind us of? If you've been here uh, for the past couple months, walking with God, that, that reminds us of garden language. When Adam and Eve were in were full, perfect uh, community and relationship with God, they walked with him like a friend. So there's a whisper that something's happening. We're, we're, we're somehow going to get back to the way it was supposed to do. God's promise of salvation, it's coming. It's being whispered. Don't forget about it. Not only does Enoch not experience death, but the Bible describes it as he has, he has walked, or he, he walked with God. Eden language. These few lines in the genealogy, this break in the pattern, are telling us that God is undoing the curse that drove us out of the garden, that drove us out of God's presence, that drove us away from the giver of life and life itself. Thirdly, we see that Enoch pleased God. Genesis 5, it actually doesn't say that he pleased God, but the, this phrase that we just talked about, walked with God. Uh, in the New Testament, when they translated the Old Testament into the common language, they, they translated walked with God into uh, pleased God. Not only that, when we read the New Testament, Enoch comes up in the book of Hebrews, and in Hebrews it describes uh, Enoch as pleasing God. So let's, so let's unpack that. This idea of Enoch walking with God is, is synonymous with him pleasing God. Hebrews 11.5 speaks of this. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he, he was commended as having pleased God. So how does one please God, you might be asking. Maybe you think that, hey, I, I'm a pretty good person. Like, I, I know my, my, my neighbors or my coworkers, or I watch the news, or I just know how bad people are. I, I'm a pretty good person. I try to do good things. I, I think God's probably pretty pleased with me. He should be, at least, because I'm pretty good. But when we look at Enoch, what, what does it say that he's done? Is there a long list of, of great deeds and works that Enoch did? There's not. What, what is the only thing that is there when, when describing Enoch? It says that he had faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up. That's why he was commended as, in, as having pleased God. Hebrews, the same passage, we're going to go on to the next verse, continues to unpack this idea that it's not works, it's not good deeds, it's not jumping through spiritual hoops or checking spiritual boxes or giving away all your stuff. That's not what ultimately pleases God. Hebrews continues, uh, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So just in case we didn't get it clear, just in case we read verse 5, by faith Enoch, he he didn't die, he was taken up to heaven to be with God, and he pleased God. Just in case we read that and thought, oh, well, he must have been like superstar godly guy. He must have done the greatest sacrifices and done, done all this great work for God. Just in case we get to that conclusion, verse 6 comes right after it, and, it's, and it reminds us, it starts off by saying, without faith it is impossible to please God. That may be a brand new idea for you today. Maybe you thought, that the way that I please God is actually jumping through spiritual hoops. It's actually by being kind, by turning the other cheek, by, by loving my neighbor. And although, in, maybe in a small letter P, that does please God because it makes him uh, the happy that, we're, that we look like his son and we're obeying him. Ultimately, what pleases God, what, what makes us in good relationship with him, what brings us back to a garden-like existence, what gets our sins forgiven, is not works, is not deeds, is not doing spiritual things, but it's having faith. It's trusting in God. Just like a young child trusts their loving parent, that's what walking with God means. So Genesis, what we just read, was written about 1,400 years ago, before Jesus enters the story. But we're on this side of the cross. We have the entire Bible. We know the, the, the center point, the climax, the pinnacle of the, the Bible is Jesus' his, his life, and especially his death and resurrection. So because we know that, we can now read Genesis we can read the story of Enoch and see what, what, what it's really pointing to or what the full and ultimate meaning of that is. And we see that even though Enoch is a great character, his story, his life is actually pointing ahead to an even greater character, namely Jesus himself, who does all those same three things but on an even greater, more powerful, more cosmic type way. Enoch foreshadowed an even greater curse breaker. Enoch was just a whisper of the ultimate defeater of death. Enoch was just a shadow of the one who would truly and fully walk with God and please him. Enoch pointed ahead in the story to the promised one, to Eve, her offspring that would reverse the curse and destroy the power of death. Or to use a a phrase Tim Keller coined, uh, Enoch, I'm sorry, Jesus is the true and the better Enoch. So let's look at this. Let's see how Jesus fulfills those three things that we saw in Enoch. First one is, like Enoch, Jesus is not dead. The tomb is empty. God has taken him up, just like he did with Enoch, to join him in heaven. Acts 2.24 speaks of this. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So both Enoch and Jesus were taken up or raised up by God to be with him in heaven. But Jesus is the true and better Enoch, who didn't just bypass death, but experienced death on our behalf, in our place, and he defeated it. World-renowned theologian uh, Chris Wachter writes, Even when death seemed to reign while Christ was on the cross, and during those three days when he was buried in the tomb, God had a plan. And his plan was manifested in the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Like God overruled death on Enoch's behalf, 
so does he overrule it on the behalf of those who believe in Jesus Christ as their salvation. The Bible speaks of Jesus not just being raised from the, from the grave, not just being taken up like Enoch was, but rather that he defeated death. This enemy for generations and millennia that plagued uh, humanity. Jesus defeated. He didn't just barely sneak away from the tomb. He didn't uh, just escape without being noticed by death, but rather he had complete and utter victory over death and now has the power over it. Jesus tells us in the book of Revelation, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am live forevermore. And I have the keys of death in Hades. So this prison that was, that was enslaving all of humanity, death in Hades, Jesus says, I have defeated it, and I have the keys to it. You trust in me, and I can unlock this, this prison that's been, that's been uh, holding everyone, all humanity throughout history. Then later in Revelation, uh, Jesus is described as wiping away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Or the prophet Isaiah here says, death is swallowed up forever. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It was in Jesus' death that he won victory over Satan, sin, and death through death that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And like Enoch, the pattern of death is broken. But unlike Enoch, through Jesus, the pattern of death is broken for all those who trust in him. That's the good news today. Enoch's sons and grandsons and great-grandsons, they still experience death. But now through the true and better, the greater Enoch, those who trust in him, those who trust in Christ, no longer have to be slaves to death. Or we can receive spiritual and full life right now here on earth and eternal life with him as well. That's the good news, that there's, there's someone even better than Enoch. It's not just a story to kind of give us hope that it might happen later on in the future. But we live on this side of the cross and we see the, the true and greater Enoch who breaks the pattern of death on our behalf. Second Timothy 1.10 says, Our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death, and brought life and, and immortality to light through the gospel. So now through the gospel, through believing in what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf, we now have the invitation, the offer, to have both life right now as well as eternal life, as well as immortality with Jesus. If we repent of our sins, if we trust in him and believe. Secondly, we see that Jesus also walked with God. Jesus is the true and better Enoch who didn't just walk with God but had a full and perfect relationship with him. Again and again and again, especially in the Gospel of John, just Google uh, Jesus and the Father unity or oneness and you'll get a whole page full of results. Jesus says it again and again and again that him and the Father have great unity, great oneness between him and his Father, their perfect love, their perfect relationship. Jesus says it uh, in John 10, 30. Here's an example of it. He says, I and the Father are one. We're so unified. We're so close. Our relationship is so perfect that we are 
one. And finally, just like Enoch, Jesus pleased God. In the Gospel of Matthew especially, uh, Jesus, or God the Father speaks of Jesus three times and says, this is my beloved Son who, with whom I am well pleased. Three times God the Father says he's pleased with Jesus. Matthew 3, 17, Jesus' baptism, right before he starts his ministry, God the Father says, and behold, or sorry, God doesn't say this here, and behold, a voice from heaven said, and this is God, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So not just a random human that pleased God by having faith, but his own son. And we see the way that, just like with Enoch, it was through faith, the way that Jesus pleased God the Father was that he trusted in him. He had faith in his Father. A few weeks ago for uh, our Good Friday service, we looked at uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's pleading with his Father, saying, God, if there's any other way, any other way that my mission can happen, that humanity can be saved, if there's any other way that that can happen without me going to the cross, let it be. Please, please. He pleads with him three times. He's sweating blood. He's going through so much distress. But he ends it with by saying, but not my will, but yours be done. He trusts his father. He puts faith in his father. And out of that faith, out of that trust in his father, he obeyed him. Philippians 2.8 says, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So today as we leave, a couple things. First thing I want us to practically do do it throughout the week. Let this be something you do for the rest of your life. Thank God that the power and the pattern of death is broken. And not just in Enoch, but in the true and greater Enoch, who didn't just break the pattern of death himself, but in Jesus, who offers that, that life, that break in the pattern of death to all those who trust in him. Eric Mason, who's a pastor and author, writes this, Jesus, as the Son of God, He's not only inspirational, he's epic. Knowing that he got up from the grave after such a savage and brutal martyrdom should make us pump our fists in the air in worship. Here before us is a man who is man enough to drink in death and spit out victory. So you may be young, or maybe life's going really great for you right now, and maybe you don't. You feel, you feel invincible, or you're just naive and you just don't think, yeah, yeah, death, that's a problem, but I didn't really experience it right now. Just look around. Read the table. Chris was talking about our online platform. Read the table and see all the prayer requests. See how people, how, how, how the, whether it's death or whether it's just the effects of death, disease, surgery, sickness, pain, suffering, as you grow old, or maybe not even old, and your body just starts apart, you have chronic pain or disease or, or, or sickness, or as you buried loved ones, or as you just turn on the news and watch horrendous acts of violence and war and disease and evil and death, thank God that that pattern of death is broken. Notice in this passage, the entire chapter we read, there's no commands. There's no do this. It's just good news. There's no moralism to follow. There's just this great story of the incredible love, power, victory, and grace of our God.
that death is not going to rule forever. This morning, Jesus says to you, just like he said to Mary and Martha, he says to us today, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. So he's speaking of eternal life here. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's a question for us today. Do you believe that? First off, on a salvation-type level. Second of all, do you believe that when you have chronic pain, when a loved one dies, when life just gets really, really hard and, and the effects of death just creep into our lives, do you really thank God that the pattern of death is defeated? And then secondly, know that getting right with God, that pleasing Him and receiving full life now and eternal life in the future, know that that comes through faith, comes through belief, comes through only through trust in Jesus Christ. Remember, it was by faith that Enoch walked with God. It was by faith that he pleased him. It wasn't by being a great person. It wasn't by uh, being better than all of his peers. It was by faith. Remember, it is impossible to please God without faith. So when you're starting to get really prideful, Christian, I'm speaking to you right now, if you're starting to get really prideful because you know your Bible really well, or you do a lot of great things at your church or on a Sunday morning, or you taking a class and you're learning theology, or whatever it might be, and you start to get really boastful, God really must be pleased with me, but you have no faith, you have no relationship with him, you have no trust with him, it's all about yourself. Remember, memorize, repeat this verse to yourself. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Salvation isn't something that we can earn, but rather it's a free gift that we've been given, given to those who receive Jesus. His death on the cross struck down the power and the chains and the prison of death. And as a resurrection, his, resur his resurrection is a preview of what awaits those who put their faith in him. Let's pray, then we're going to talk about communion a little bit the Lord's Supper, how we remember Jesus' victory over Satan, sin, and death. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word and that even in a genealogy full of, of names and dates and people's ages, you put a whisper of your plan of salvation. God, you give us hope. You tell us that death will not always reign. We thank you for that. Help us to be people here today that come to you through faith, that know that putting our trust in you is what pleases you and that death will not always reign because of your son's death and, and resurrection on the cross. Or death on the cross and, and resurrection. Pray this in your powerful, a saving name, Jesus. Amen. All right, we, uh, once a month we flip our service and we actually, uh, we always have the Lord's Supper available on the side. You can always take it during worship any Sunday, but once a month we flip the service so we can kind of focus on this. So uh, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, or communion, the Eucharist, a few names for it, um, the night before he died. So the, the, the night that he was betrayed, he told his disciples, I'm going to defeat death. In just a few hours, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be uh, unjustly convicted. I'm going to be nailed on a cross. My body's going to be broken, just like this bread I'm breaking in front of you. My blood's going to be poured out all over the ground just like this wine I'm pouring and giving to you right now, all for the forgiveness of your sins, so that death actually can be defeated, 
can be defeated. So it's not just going to be an Enoch-like one where God just kind of randomly picks out one person who never experiences death. But now, those who trust in me, those who put their faith in me, will, will, will never have to experience death again. Or if we do experience death in this life, we will live eternally. So how we practice uh, communion here at Hiawatha is uh, in a few minutes, the, the band's going to come up. They're going to play uh, a set of songs. Anytime during that set, you can come down the center aisle, break off some bread. There's also a gluten-free if you need that. And then pour, pour a glass of uh, either grape juice or wine. Those are labeled as well. And remember, remember what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus said, take this meal and, and remember me and my sacrifice when you do it. Do it regularly. Do it again and again and again. Focus on what the cross means. And so we're going to do that this morning. You don't need, need to be a member here at Hiawatha or any church, actually, to take communion here. We just ask that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, that you have repented of your sins and you put your, your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ alone. And if you haven't done that yet, I, I'd love to talk to you. Pastor Chris would love to talk to you. Let today be the day in your life that death doesn't reign anymore, that your inevitable end does not lead to death. Jesus offers you that invitation today. So if that's you today, come talk to us. This invitation, not just from me, from Jesus Christ himself, the defeater of death, says, I, I want you to experience full eternal life in paradise with me forever. I want to give that to you. So if that's something that interests you today, uh, I'd love to talk with you. Pastor Chris would love to talk with you. Um, so I'm going to pray, invite the band up. Feel free anytime during those songs to come up. Take communion. You can bring it back to your seats. You can sit in the front row and take it there. There'll be a couple of people up front that would love to pray with you. If you want to add prayer to a part of your worship experience this morning, you can just say a general prayer, and they'll pray a general prayer over you, or if you have any specifics, we'd uh, like to um, offer that to you today as well. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for your death and sacrifice on the cross and what uh, communion symbolizes. We thank you, God, that... Uh, your body was broken. Your blood was shed on our behalf. You died the death that we deserved. You died a death that was in our place for our sins, not just an example, but it was the death that was meant for us. And because you died in our place and you rose from the grave and defeated death, you now have the, the keys to death in Hades and you're unlocking cell after cell after cell freeing people who put their trust and their faith in you. God, let us celebrate that. Let this uh, warm our hearts, change our lives as we celebrate this, as we sing this, as we uh, practice it through symbolism, as we take the Lord's Supper. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we...